keep Rain Man Digital on the air by pledging to our Patreon page. Uh, your continued support allows us to make great content and offer even better features in the future. Help us keep the lights on in the studio by pledging $1 to $10 a month. Go to patreon.com slash Digital to pledge. Warning, Weird West Radio contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. to Weird West Radio on Rain Man Digital, Rain Man Digital's exclusive Western show, where we cover all Western genres, but we like to focus on the weird, the weird Western. All right. Hello and welcome, everyone. I am Michael, your host, and in the studio today is David. Hello. Hello, everybody. All right. So in this episode, we plan to cover a new Weird West comic from the indie publishing company Scout Comics, titled Midnight Western Theater, from writer Lewis Southard, and art from David Hahn, and cover art by Kalman Andrasovsky, Andra Savovsky, I think is how you say their name. The synopsis, welcome to the Midnight Western Theater. Our feature presentation is a tale of town under siege, the notorious Red Tom and his dastardly posse have laid claim to the once prosperous vista of Liberty Springs. But for how long will these outlaws be able to savor their sinful victory as two black-clad strangers suddenly arrive? <laughs> and, and that just, doesn't that sound like the perfect synopsis for a spaghetti western? <laughs> well, whenever you have a western hero wear black, I just, I get very excited because it takes me back to one of the greatest weird westerns of all time which is the dark tower series all right so i was not sure about this title when i pre-ordered from our partners over at things from another universe for a few reasons one sadly as most weird west fans know weird west content isn't always done very well no it isn't (laughs) in fact i would say 80 percent of the time it's really bad. I don't know why. The fandom for the Weird West is a fairly is fairly big, but the content we are given is mostly from indie companies, whether they be novels, comics, or movies. But for some reason, the bigger mainstream companies continue to veer away. So we're left with a lot of indie outlets doing things, a lot of fans that just love Weird West, so they attempt to do something, and it's not always great, unfortunately. 
there's usually something really cool within the concept, but overall, whatever it may be, book, comic, movie, it just doesn't work. Well, because I honestly think that people who approach the idea of a weird West do it injustice because they're, they approach it looking at it as if it, as if it's a really simplistic genre and it's not, no, it's not. You get, you get elements in weird West and spaghetti Westerns that you do not see that that's almost taboo to talk about in other, in other, uh, media, you know, there's elements that basically in the old 1970s, uh, spaghetti Westerns that I remember, you would never see them done today because it would be deemed too, too political or too, you know, racist or even like too polit uh too uh too politically incorrect politically incorrect to actually do it yes sometimes i would agree with that especially when you're if you're dealing with let's say you're working on a weird west and you're using notes of spaghetti from the spaghetti western genre or some other older western and some of those those archetypes or concepts they just don't always um age well yeah because of the way we have moved as a society we've progressed we've changed so yeah, you're right. Sometimes the content is very dated. It's but, very dated. But it's just in the way of just people putting out content, I feel like, secondly, um, I feel like the reason why we get a lot of poor Weird West stuff is there's a confusion when it comes to the genre. Meaning, n- number one, um, there's a lot of people out there, regular people, that just don't know what Weird West is. Yes. But when you say sci-fi, action, rom-com drama they're like oh yeah i i understand that i understand those genres but with weird west is like i don't i don't know what that is like what type of genre is that and the same thing can be said about actual weird west um content distributors meaning there's sometimes weird west writers who aren't really writing a weird west they're writing a steampunk There is a lot of confusion within the genre even within the fandom they don't quite understand what a weird west is because the genre is kind of made up essentially by us the fans you know we said okay let's make up a weird west genre well what does it entail well it it entails pretty much anything that typically doesn't belong in a western and it has to do with the occult yes in a nutshell that's what a weird west is but there's a lot of so-called weird west fans who don't quite understand what that genre really entails what it means so because of that because there's already a muddy uh, the genre is already muddied and diluted through people not quite understanding what the genre is we don't get good weird west that's one reason yeah pretty much and also the thing i notice is a lot of the weird west that i've seen they almost veer too much into the genres that they try to throw into western like say for example like I've seen so many people try a weird West and then they go too far into the horror element. Right. And it, it, it ceases being a Western at that point. And it's more of a horror movie. Right. And I don't consider that like a weird West. The beautiful thing that there's no I balance. Think, you got to have a balance between oh, if you're going to do a weird West, whatever your hybrid genre you you're bringing into that Western element that, that will then make it a weird West. You got to have a, a good balance between the two, whether yeah. it be a sci-fi and a Western or a horror and a Western. You're right. I think uh, the perfect example of a weird West to me, this is my own opinion is 
the the series that you mentioned by Stephen King, Dark Tower. To me, Perfect. that is the epitome of a of a weird West because Stephen King was able to take a Western and add elements you would never think of. Well, his inspiration for that series was spaghetti westerns, specifically Sergio Leone's spaghetti westerns and Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, yeah. That, that's a proper way to bring two genres together that then creates a weird West genre. Yeah. And never, never once when you read the dark tower, do you feel like you're out of that Western world? Yeah. You're, you're, you're never thinking, Oh, this is a horror book or this is like one of his, uh, tales of suspense books. No. Yeah. This is a Western story written by Stephen King. Even when they leave the, the setting that you would say is a Western setting they still maintain many of those Western elements because oh, of yeah. the lead character who is a gun slinger. Yeah. So no, you're right. Um, we, and just to bring it back to this comic book here, midnight Western theater, I will say that I know we went on a little tangent there, but the reason why is because in my opinion, this is a piece of weird West that did it right. They, <laughs> they, they did. did the balance between horror and western very well and we'll get into all the reasons why in just a moment now another reason why i wasn't quite sure about this title outside of the weird west issue i've never heard of scout comics and third i never heard of lewis southard the writer i'm gonna surprise you and even though i know i'm a i'm the person that a lot of people go to for the comic book side of oh yeah you caught me off guard with this one i was like going scout comics Okay, I've never heard of them. The only person I've heard of on this team was Ryan Cody. And Ryan Cody is the colorist. Yeah. Because Ryan Cody is actually local here in Arizona. Interesting. And I was like going, okay, Scout Comics and Lewis Southgard, I did not know what he did. And I had to research him before I uh, I started reading this book. And he, he has like some work before this. Yeah. But it's very it's very niche and it's very indie. Yeah. And sometimes that indie stuff just isn't that great. But when it's good, it's good. And honestly, all the all those issues, you know, my apprehension to get involved with this comic book series, none of it really mattered in the end. I will say with this one I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, issue 1 was a fairly easy read. It worked on various levels. The setup was easy to follow and relevant throughout the issue. Uh, Souther didn't overwrite, which is a big problem that I have found not just in the indie circles, but uh, more and more within the mainstream circles as well because of Snyder. Snyder has showed people or shown people that, hey, guess what? I know we are on a mainstream title here, and but uh, I'm going to write you a book, <laughs> yes, <laughs> not a comic. And that works for some stories. But it's something that I'm always looking for in comic books because if it is there, then I expect it to be well done. And if your talent doesn't lie in writing a bunch of exposition or dialogue via comic bubbles, then you probably shouldn't do it. But Southard, he did a great job. He managed to find a middle ground between setup and well-paced world building. Uh, the story moved fluidly throughout and left you wanting more. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave, why don't you give me your initial thoughts? 
Uh, my initial thoughts on this, I was very hesitant because of all the all the things that you mentioned is the fact that when you get a weird West, 80% of the time it's not good. And it's even more so, even even more so when it comes to comics because a lot of people mistake the Western genre and throw it in there with steampunk, which is a hot thing uh, currently right now, and mistaking that genre for a weird West when it's steampunk. And it's very easy to mix the two. And a lot of creative people nowadays, that's almost like become like a crutch for them to when writing a Western story. Yeah. A lot of people just veer off and go, Oh, I'm just going to do this for stylized, uh, stylized purposes and make it into a steampunk. Yeah. And then at that point, you're not a weird West anymore and you've lost my attention. If I, especially when I would go into a series expecting a Western story. And also Dave, there's a lot of writers who accidentally write a weird West. They're like, Hey, you know, I I had this dream to write like a horror (laughs) Western. Yes. Uh, It just seems like a really cool idea. I'm like, yeah, dude, that's called a weird West. West. That's called a weird West. That's called a weird West. So a lot of these writers don't even understand or even know that there is an actual genre called the weird West. So that that's a thing that I'm always waiting yeah. to get angry about. I'm like, <laughs> you motherfucker. So so going into this uh, in, going into the series by uh, with the first issue, I was very hesitant, but as I read along, I loved the beginning and I love the fact that the way it's stylized and everything, it is a weird west. The first issue felt like a weird west and without a doubt, yeah. And it never deviated from it. No. Because by the end of it, especially when you introduce what I think is the main character, it could have easily gone the way of a steampunk. It well, could have. Oh, without a doubt. Because she is the archetype of a steampunk. If you, if you pull up her character, there's so many characters that try to be like that, and it just veers into a steampunk Victorian look. Well, I think what helped this out and stay so... I don't want to say pure, but consistent. Yeah, consistent. That's the right word. Southard, it felt like he knew what he wanted this comic book series to be. And sometimes when you're dealing with the Weird West, because it's a Weird West and it's larger than life, you find some of these creators kind of throw in numerous things. Oh, there's a witch. Oh, look, there's a troll. Oh, look, there's aliens. And you're like, okay. There's just too much happening. I understand we're dealing with the Weird West, but that doesn't mean you need to throw in every fucking thing you can possibly think of. He is sticking to an idea. And he's going with it. If they had introduced anything else in this comic book other than what they did, it would have felt a little too... Too much. Yeah, too much. It would have been too much. Yeah. All right, so the opening two pages sets up the introduction. We see a young girl and her dad at night in the old west looking up at the stars the way the writer begins the comic is effective having these two settlers talk about the dangers of the west help establish the potential perceived dangers yeah and what this does is it allows the reader to see things through the eyes of the young girl and her father we understand that things may not end up as planned. So I feel like that was a great way to start 
the series, a bit of a prelude to events. And there's a brief exchange between the pair that clues us in that they had traveled from the east to the west in search of a new home, a place a bit slower than the east coast. That was the illusions, I believe. And knowing how fast the world is changing, the dad wants his daughter to live in a place where she will be challenged and know how to adapt to the changes that could very well be violent and or dangerous, which created a bit of a problem between the father and the mother, which we did not see in the comic, but they did set it they up. Hinted at it. And I'm curious as to why they would make a point to say that the father and the mother want to raise the daughter very differently yes. than each other. They both have their own expectations and what they want for the daughter. The daughter seems to not even like the mother. And I'm wondering if we didn't go back to it and we skipped 20 years into the future right after this scene, the mother has got to have some bigger purpose in this story. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're, the fact that in these two pages, they, the elements that they set up basically just spell out that there's more to the story between the father, the mother, and the daughter, or Stensha. Or Stensha is like, it's obvious she's the main character of our series. Right. And the way she starts off as this young, as this young woman. And then when we see her again, you know, 20 years later and all of a sudden <laughs> the person that she turned into, it begs the question, okay, who at the end of the day, who influenced her after that talk with her father was, or what happened or what happened? Like something drastic happened in 20 years. Yeah. You and, know, you have those, those hints that the world is dangerous and then boom, we flash forward 20 years later and she's out there, you know, riding a flame horse <laughs> a with a vampire with a vampire. And it's like, okay, was this the father's doing or was this the mother's doing? And then also bringing in the element that she had seven brothers. So, because remember the father basically tells, tells her Stensha that they're going to go back East to go grab, not just the mother, but also her brothers. Right. Yeah, it's definitely interesting, and I do appreciate the format of the story and how he chose to do it. I am okay with flashing forward and how you and how he started in the past and then moved forward. And sure, you can say there's a lot of, you know, potential there. There's 20 years of content. Well, why don't we are we going to find out what happened? But I'm almost glad that the first issue was. You had that opening two pages with the father and the daughter. We flash forward 20 years. And then now it's almost like a day in the life of this young lady as a woman. And it makes you want to read the next issue because you know that they're going to then move forward by explaining what had happened during those 20 years. 20 years. And on top of that, I thought that basically the 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 way that how the story was handled not only set up. Or or Stensha's story, but yeah. also it's, it helps set up the world that she's in. It, I mean, yeah, he did it rather quick. He right? did it rather quick to show that this is a brutal world. This is this this is basically the the example of like a spaghetti western where you know the villains are willing to do the most heinous things to innocent people. Doesn't matter laugh if you're obnoxiously and laugh, about it. Laugh obnoxiously yeah. about it, and you want to root for them to die. Yeah, and like. That's what I really appreciated was the fact that, okay, he gets, for me, what 
like those spaghetti westerns, the vibe you get. Oh, without you know? a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And you bring up the violence, especially at the beginning. I am not a fan of just graphic violence for graphic violence sake. In fact, the I want to say the third or fourth page after that initial introduction and we move forward 20 years, we get a scene where a group of kids are slaughtered, <laughs> slaughtered. by the antagonist of yes. the first issue. And at first I rolled my eyes because we were only three pages in and I was getting nervous. I'm like, okay, so it's going to be one of those attempts at writing a weird West, just graphic violence for graphic violence sake. But at the end of the issue, you realize that a lot of this is all about setting up the world, setting up the world. It lays the foundation for the story to kick into high gear because after that initial setup, we move from 1848 to 1868 where presumably, uh, uh, the girl, what's her name? Orstentia. Orstentia. Yeah, you're right. Orstentia. Uh, presumably Orstentia is now grown up and her father is nowhere to be found, but now she wears all black and rides on the back of a horse of flame and travels with a vampire that wishes to refrain from killing and drinking the blood of humans. Yes. Now, all of this is woven within the story. There aren't moments where the writers just decide to tell us things. We are given info as we need it. It's a properly written story. Yes. The plot sequence dictates that, okay, this is what you need to know now. And then logically, this is the next bit. Yes. It's not info dump, info dump, and then nothing for seven pages. And then info dump, info dump. This guy knows how to pace out a story. Well, you, the, the amazing thing too is like by doing, by, by not giving us the info dump, it made us focus on the story at that moment. Because yes. just like what you said, it's like, this is supposed to be a story of a day in the life right now of Orstentia during this time. And we don't need the details of like, why is she traveling with a vampire? Why is she riding a horse? Not right now. It would have weighed down the entire narrative. Exactly. If they did that. This was totally uh, here to set up. This is what a day in the life in this world is like. And I like the fact that you're right. I mean, they easily could have actually gone into really graphic areas and shown the kids getting killed. But I thought it was very smart and very, very spaghetti Western-ish. When they the, the way he did the the, the panel, mm -hmm. you see the guys surrounding them, and then he tells tells them, boys, get get this over with, and then we could celebrate. And you cut to like that shot of the owl. Yeah. And just the gunshots. And I was like going, that's a very spaghetti western oh, yeah. shot. Because like you don't show the actual killing of the children, but you get the sense. You get the sense that, okay, something's watching this happen, and it's very fantastical. You know, it's those moments when, like, uh, in some of the movies that me and you have covered in the past for this show, where the director or the cinematographer decides to take this random shot of, like, blurriness and light and suddenly a flower, and all you hear is, like, the sounds around it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's more effective sometimes. It's so effective. Yeah, and it's way more effective. Sometimes, and this is where I don't envy certain directors when you're talking about movies or comics or books, when you're talking about writers, I don't envy them sometimes when it comes to these decisions because you really need to be in it for you to figure out what the right decision is because yeah. there are times where you may want to show it because it would have more of an impact. But then there's those times where it's that much more impactful when you don't, when you see, don't see what's it. happening. And it's and it fits the theme that you're doing. Yeah, well, it's mysterious. We're not quite sure what type of world we're in quite yet. 
So to keep things uh, ambiguous, yeah, a, a little more aloof, I, I feel like it works to add those layers of mystery. Now, the writer also does a really good job keeping your interest because we have that two-page intro with the kid and her father, and then we skip through the 20 years, and our interest does stay peaked because of that. The first issue does tell us what has happened to, or it doesn't tell us what has happened to the girl's family, but rather highlights her current life as it is at this time through her actions and through the actions of both the, the leads, the main characters. Uh, Alexander the Vampire and Ostensia. Osten- Ostensia, I think. Ostensia. I'm just going to call it the woman in black. Yeah, That's that, probably the, the best one, thing. The it fits her. Uh, the thing about Alexander. Wait, what was I saying? What was the exact verbiage? I lost my train of thought now. About uh, Alexander being the, the vampire and then Ostensia. Yeah, yeah. So through the actions of our main characters, Alexander and the woman in black, you understand the two of them you understand that they have a bit of a antagonistic type relationship they like each other but they also don't hesitate to tell each other the fuck off you get the idea that they've been on the trail for a long time together they know each other well you understand their their version of a moral compass yes all of this done in in a very simple way because i i I don't want to blow this so much to where people think, oh my God, this must be the best comic book of all time. No, it's actually pretty simple, but there is genius within simplicity at times. And sometimes you just got to focus on your characters. And that's what really shined for me in this first issue is it wasn't necessarily about, I don't want to say the narrative. It's always about the narrative. I don't, it wasn't necessarily about what was happening overtly. It was more about what the characters were doing and what it says about them. All right. So yeah, everything was done pretty well. This is a five part series as well. So I'm sure the plan is to give us a bit of, of their past through each issue and connect those opening pages by filling in the gaps. Well, what I'm hoping for also when I did research on scout comics is like, this seems to be one of their, main series right now so they're hoping to get garner more attention so i'm hoping i hope it works i'm hoping that uh the midnight western theater turns into i know it's only a five-part series but that they continue it maybe it's a different story after after the uh after this set and we get introduced to other characters in this world yeah they are doing a weird release strategy uh they release one issue I want to say three months ago, and I believe they're releasing them every three months. Every three months, yeah. Is that what a lot of indie publishers do? Nowadays, yeah, because of like, of course, of of, of like the, the way that the publications have changed. I would, I would think people would forget. You'd think. Like but when you're on a. Just for budget purposes, for like a lot of like the the indie companies out there, yeah. because Scout Comics is a small small indie indie uh, company, and they have to be really careful with their release uh, releasing in their publications right. because if they just go gangbusters on everything, they'll spend everything. They won't make any money, and they won't yeah. make any money back. No, I understand that. I'm just curious as to how or if it even affects the sales. Because I know, I know myself 
if there's a comic book that doesn't come out every month at the shop, chances are I will forget about it because I don't go into the shop every day. And nowadays, with how the comic book industry has changed so much, and we're living in an era where they don't really print a lot of issues anymore, they might put out 20 per shop for major titles, unless you're talking about Batman or something really huge, and they're going to give you like 3,000 copies. But my point is, is that if you're not going to the shop every day, chances are you're going to miss it. Oh, yeah. And and the thing is, is like, it's up to these, up to these, like, uh, indie companies to really push their publication. They got to promote. They got to promote. And it's really imperative also that the stories that they produce have to be top notch. They they can't be be, compelling. they, They can't be you know, lackluster. No, because no one's going to wait three months to buy another shitty comic. Yeah. And the, the amazing well, three months have uh, come and gone. And now I'm going to buy myself some more shit. The, the, the weird thing that I've been noticing, especially with indie comics, a lot of people just the past two, three years, they've been saying like the best stories have been from the indies because yeah. a lot of those artists and the, especially those writers are compelled to come up with some of the best unique stories that you will not, you couldn't imagine. Yeah. And that's why you have things like uh, there's one out there right now that is done by Scott Snyder that everyone's talking about is Nocturna. Yeah. I've been buying that. And Nocturna basically no, no publication about it. The only pushing, the only one pushing it was Scott Snyder due to his fan base. Well, He's his own marketing platform. That man, that and, dude can yeah. sell thousands and thousands probably if he just got on Twitter every day. And the and the and the release schedule of Nocturna is also kind of like every I think it's two months. It's weird. It's very strange. We we're living in very strange times for comics, but that is why people need to pre order these. That's what I would suggest because then they just ship to you when they're released and that way you don't have to remember. And you'll be pleasantly surprised when you go to your mailbox or the douchey UPS slash FedEx guy <laughs> does a single tap and then takes off running and leaves your package at the door, you will be pleasantly surprised and happy. So that's what I suggest. Oh, and easily. David, I will put some links. Uh, in both the website version and our podcast description so that people can can find where to purchase these. So as I was talking about, or as I was saying about the, the main characters, they are very compelling. Uh, both, I feel like, were introduced successfully. Um, I was only left with one question. How did we get here? And that's the type of question I should have. Yes. That was done purposely. You get the idea that they've been traveling with each other for a while. Uh, and there is an instant rapport between the two of them that is fully established. And that's something I look for all the time when I'm talking about Westerns or when I'm reading a Western and you're dealing with a duo. It's a very common archetype or character trait to have characters not, I want to say be antagonistic to each other. I mean, look at the classic, you know, good, the bad, and the ugly. Hugo and Blondie. Blondie. I mean, that's a very common relationship rapport in Spaghetti Westerns. So I always look for those types of things. How does the duo work? How do they work off each other? Do they, does it work? Is there chemistry? Yes. And I feel like that was also there as well. 
I say successfully introduced because you will want to know everything about them. There's a bit of a frustrating moment only because I wanted more at the end of the issue. Uh, but that's a good thing. They are modeled after various Western archetypes. Yes, I'd say are. so far our two leads resemble the anti-hero gunslingers made famous during the spaghetti Western craze of the 60s. Uh, I'm not entirely certain what Southard's inspiration was for Midnight Western Theater. I did find an interview while I was preparing for this show uh, with the writer where he said that he had the idea for Goth Cowboys, which led to the creation of Midnight Western Theater. <laughs> Western Theater, yeah. But that's all I can find. And that was all his inspiration, Goth Cowboys. I'm like, well, dude, you... um. Uh, if I had heard this interview before the comic, I probably would have run away because I don't have a problem with God Cowboys. But if that was all your idea, well, I had an idea to do a Western God Cowboys. Cowboys. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're so fucking basic, bro. <laughs> but obviously he has a lot more intellectually wise to work with. Well, the so. thing that's really nice is like he it's not just the focus on like the simplicity of a cowboy story. Right. Mm -hmm. He takes elements that we as cowboy fans can actually gravitate towards whether it's, I actually like the whole idea of her riding the hellish horse because that's, Oh that's, yeah. That's a, that is a, such a, like a, a weird West trope to have yep. a steed that is otherworldly. And like, it's very sudden, common within weird West. It adds elements to that character that basically, okay, there's something truly special about, you know, our main, our main hero right now. And also he's using that classic relationship between the horse and the rider, the horse and the rider. Cause you get the idea that she likes the horse a lot. And her partner, Alexander, the vampire is like, I don't understand why you like this horse. Yes. <laughs> and Alexander, who's like, while yes, he's a vampire. He has that element of like those really gentleman type of aristocrat aristocrat cowboy characters yep. that we all know like say for example like uh i kind of almost pictured his personality through his dialogue as kind of like uh uh oh my god i forgot his char the character's name but the character in django the the gentleman that basically ends up killing <laughs> that ends up training django and killing uh uh leonardo dicaprio's character oh christoph waltz christoph waltz yeah i kind of picture like Alexander, like his personality, like that, the I, gentleman I, I southerner who basically <laughs> just travels along, says, you know, this is how it should go and everything, but it doesn't. Yeah. And like, I really dig the fact that, especially with the vampire element, they didn't make Alexander the atypical vampire. No. I mean, if you look at him, he has bat wings. That's different from any vampire that you would expect. So there was some thought process into basically saying, I'm not going to make him into a simplistic vampire. And it made me wonder, okay, are we going to see later on the series that Alexander to us right now looks like a vampire? Yeah. But there's more to him. There's, there's, there's something else. He's something else besides being classified as a vampire. You're right about the vampire thing. Seems like he's veering away from the classic American vampire stories and he is using the Penny Dreadfuls yeah, as, a, yeah. as a source of inspiration. And if he has, you know, let's go back to the interview that I just made fun of. The goth cowboys. Well, gothic horror. If you look at the vampires within gothic horror, they typically look more like that. So it seems like his inspiration for the vampire is 
Like the Penny Dreadfuls. It's more aligned with the Penny Dreadfuls, yeah. Which, listen, Weird West, Penny, or Dime Novels, Penny Dreadfuls, those are all things that are closely, they closely innervate with each other. And it's like it, the, those little tiny details that make me, make that show me that, you know, South uh, Southard knows what he's doing because, like, even down to, like, the villain. The villain of the issue, I love the fact that he gave him the red scarf around the neck because in Western mythos, the well, red sash, gang. the red sash gang. <laughs> and I'm like, going, OK, so he's the he he's a guy that we want dead. Definitely. Yeah, because yeah. as Western fans, you should automatically think, be thinking Tombstone with the freaking red sash gang. Yeah. And basically saying or even the original Django, the original Django. I believe yeah. they had red sashes, too. Yeah. And that's a Western. That's that's just a little tiny detail that shows that. The the writer knows what he's writing. Yeah, I will definitely say it seems like Southard grasps the uh, he grasps the Western genre, the and the Weird West genre. He may not know he's writing a Weird West. I don't know, but he definitely has a knack for putting the right things. Yeah. So I can only imagine that this series will continue to get better as we move along. So with that being said, Dave, let's take a very quick break. And then when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about the art and then get into our final thoughts and close out the show. We will be right back. Don't y'all go nowhere. Weird West Radio will be right back. Want more Weird West Radio? Get more Western discussions, plus some pulpy fun. Get more Weird West Radio every month. When you pledge just $4 or more a month, you will receive two to four additional broadcasts every single month. More movie discussions on the weird, strange, and traditional Westerns. Also, for you Spaghetti Western fans, we've got a monthly specialty show dedicated specifically to the iconic film genre of the 60s and 70s. For more Western discussions plus some pulpy fun, go to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, RAINMAN, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, Mm. and even blow you away. Plus, free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. Go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus the 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code RAINMAN. Again, that's RAINMAN. Because without it, no free stuff. That's RAINMAN at adamandeve.com. (laughs) But you know the pity is when I'm paid I always follow my job through You know that No! Angelon! Y'all listen to Weird West Radio On Rain Man Digital 
right, David. Let's talk about the art. So Kalman Andros Savosky did the cover art, and it is simply awesome. I, I know. I love the cover. It is drawn to resemble grayscale. It's black and white, essentially. And boy, is it poster worthy. I'd blow it up and place it here in the studio. Oh, easily. And it also reminds me of like those old dime store novels that I actually collect in, in like the old like 1950s yeah. cowboy novels mm-hmm. where you have the font on the underneath and then you have like the picture of um, the hero either riding, riding a horse, holding a gun or anything. And you kind of get that for me, I got the sense that it was supposed to be an homage to like the old you know, penny novels. Yeah. No, I get that. I liked it. I mean, I'm a big fan of black and white anyways. I fucking love it. I love black and white Westerns. I love contemporary Westerns that use black and white. There's just something about it that really works for me. Now, David Hahn, he did the page art and it's equally awesome. Yeah, I do like Hahn's art. Although I will say at first I was a little disappointed to find out that the comic book itself was not black and white, but you quickly realize that Han was utilizing muted tones. So it may not have been all black and white. And just because there was color, color, you know, Han did limit himself from the larger color scale to create a world somewhere in between. So he did have a unique look and he chose to go with muted tones and the color, the color choice builds the atmosphere. And when a more dynamic color is used, it pops that much more. For example, the fire sequence, uh, the blood, and of course, the classic all red panels that resemble the Spaghetti Western title cards and the credit sequences, you know, turning those subjects to silhouettes. Yes. And you have the background all in red. So when he does choose to use a more dynamic color palette, it just pops that much more. So I, I'm definitely on board with the art choices as well. Oh, easily. Because like for me, I'm really digging the art choice in this book because it does have a very indie vibe. It reminds me of like the early image comics of like walking dead and especially Mm, invincible where I'm just going to come out and say it. The big companies, their art is made to actually just be out of out of this world. They they go dynamic. They go, you know, otherworldly. You know, we'll do um, different things and unique things with the character faces and everything else. But the indie titles where they score is like they keep it simple. Keep it simple. Make sure that the art. Make sure the writer gets his story forward and the art in in the art way they can actually focus on the little details. Like what you're saying, the colors, the colors make the art just pop. And and because you have specific narrative points that it has to pop because if it doesn't, then the whole, the whole point of that, that, that scene falls flat. Yeah. Like I give a lot of props, not just to, not just to Han, but also to Cody for doing the colors because this whole team is working together in tandem to put something that solely focuses on pushing the idea of a narrative forward. You know what I mean? Because like 
it'd be really easy if this was like a major title and you had like, say a big name, like a, uh, a, one of the bigger, bigger name artists that me and you have covered in the past where they'll just go totally, totally out of left field and make it abstract. And yeah, it's great. It looks like it belongs in an art gallery and something like an abstract piece of art, but you take away from the story and the story here is done to fit a simplistic narrative within a complex genre. So if, by doing like a sim- simplistic art, what a lot of people might classify as simplistic, yeah, it helps the story because you never actually deviate your focus from the narrative. Yeah, I agree. I feel like this is a this is something special, and I hope other people find it. I hope so too. Uh, the general consensus. There really isn't a general consensus because this is a very small publishing company. It is. Now, when I say small, it's actually a pretty well-established publishing company. They've been around for quite some time. They have. And they they do have a lot of titles. It's just they don't have that reach and the way of marketing. They don't have the Superman title. They don't have a Spider-Man title. They don't have that title that brings in millions of people a year. They are not flocking to this publishing company. But when I was going through their site, they it, I might end up picking up some of their work, even if it's something I typically wouldn't read. Because, A, I like to support indie studios, indie publishing companies, indie artists. But the the work looks pretty fucking good. So I'm going to pay attention to this publishing company now. They are now on my radar and I will definitely uh, stay up to speed with everything that they have coming out. And just to keep it on topic here, Midnight Western Theater, if you look at the other four covers that are upcoming, the covers for the uh, next four issues. Yeah. Fucking great looking. Oh, they look amazing. They get better and better. Yes. They're really good. Uh, the critical response, uh, two reviewers have reviewed this so far on Comic Book Roundup. I'm going to try to get ourselves registered as official critics so we can start helping out some of these, these, these indie, indie titles, indie that, titles that people just ignore for some reason when it when it comes to reviews. Well, because people want to focus on the big two. That's yeah. where that's where most of yeah. your most of your readership readership to, from yeah. from like at, from a critic standpoint goes to. And it's sad. Unfortunately, yeah. But I understand why as well. They've been around for a very long time. I mean, Image Comics is still not. They're mainstream, but they're not a household name. They're not a household name. I mean, if you were to go up to like one of your parents, if I was go, if I were to go up to my mom and say DC, Marvel, Image, she'd be like, Image? What's that? But she would know what DC is and she would know what Marvel is. Yeah. Image is not quite there yet, but they're huge. So if a company like that, that actually does put out a lot of titles from some really great artists that are popular and they struggle to get that mainstream reach, these companies like like Scout Comics, of course, they're going to struggle a bit. Yeah. I mean, they actually have a... They have... A not a gift box, a subscription box. Yes, which is kind of cool. It's like thirty bucks a month, and they give you twelve comics a month of their issues to kind of get a taste for them. 
you know, different titles. And I think that's actually really fucking smart to do that. Oh, it is. It is. I've never seen a comic book publishing company do that. And that's a great way to introduce readers to new artists that you might otherwise never, ever, ever hear of or even purchase one of their comics. New artists and new new stories, because that's the whole point of that I really appreciated about like Scout Comics. And, and there are other publications that actually do the quote unquote mystery box. It's called like a mystery uh, mm-hmm. subscription box. And the whole point is, is to actually send people all their ti- uh, uh, a like a collection of their titles just to get them interested in something that they're not going to regularly buy. Yeah, and I can appreciate that, right? Oh, easily. Because <laughs> especially if it's curated, meaning if they look at what you're into. Like, yeah. okay, you know, he's he tends to like these types of things. You know, this is actually really good. It may not be the the genre that he typically buys into, but based on his taste, he may like this. I would love that. Yeah. Honestly, I would love someone to curate comic books for me. I think nowadays it's it's kind of a like a lost love for comics because now this makes me sound like the old man shaking his fist on the in the lawn <laughs> telling the younger generation, "Get off my lawn." But honestly, like comic book readers nowadays are so inundated into Marvel and DC that they don't want to actually read anything else. And it's a shame because there's so many great titles out there and so many great stories that blow away Marvel and DC blow them away. They they just basically like leave them in the dust. In fact, I would say image comics is image is infamous for it. Image is better in my opinion than Marvel and DC. The sad part is my point. uh, My point is just proven because if you look at the sales of oh, yeah. image compared to image <laughs> not even close and dc and marvel it's not even close not even close and you have titles on image i mean even like when walking dead first came on came out yeah no one was buying it the only reason why people bought it was because it got made into an amc series that's it same thing with invincible nowadays i've i have yelled invincible's praises since it came out back in the 90s now let's let's take this further dave when you think Image Comics, as a, try to not be a comic book nerd for a second, but when you think of Image, the only title that comes to my mind, and I'm going to exclude The Walking Dead mm-hmm. for a moment, is Spawn. Spawn, yeah. Spawn is probably the biggest title they have that probably surprised a few listeners right now. They're like, oh, that's Image? Because most people have heard of Spawn. Oh, yeah. And then you throw in The Walking Dead. There's two. They have two titles that are, that I would say are mainstream grabs that most people have heard of at this point. Yeah. But Spawn is the only one out of the image titles that is ongoing. You got to remember, it's Walking Dead. the test of time. Walking Dead ended. A couple months ago. Well, they're doing a spinoff with Negan. And, and they, they have to do spinoffs to continue the story. But when it comes to, like, ongoing titles, Spawn is the only yeah. one that has survived this long on Image side. Yeah. But it, it's he's the only character on Image that you could compare him to, like, characters like Batman, Spider-Man, Superman, all of those guys. Ongoing titles, Spawn's the only one. Yeah, we need to get people buying this. If I can get 20 people to buy 
this comic, I would be so fucking happy and pleased with myself, Dave. Easily. I'd give myself a pat on the back. <laughs> so you listeners out there, if you're if you're listening, I will put that link in our description. Purchase the comic. It'll make you happy that you're supporting an indie company that's putting out good work. Easily. All right, Dave, it's time to go into the saloon for our final thoughts. We're going to um, wink at the woman in black. She was kind of attractive. Just look out for the vampire. And the horse. And the horse. (laughs) All right, David, you start us off. Give me your thoughts as well as your RMD score. Okay, my RMD score, and this is a realistic one. This is a realistic score for this title. Okay. I think that this was a really fun title to start off. The issue was really fun. I ha- uh, I liked where they're going. And the only issues that I did have was basically, I don't think like, the problem is the reach of this to mass audiences. It has that indie flair to it. Yeah. And it could easily get just lost in the shuffle. And... If it were to be just like given a shot, I think the score would be higher. So wait, wait hold on. You're they're lowering the score because of because distribution reach. Unfortunately, yes. You're raising the distribution strategy. Yeah, because like <laughs> when you look at when you look at what Southard and Han and Cody and all of them were dealing with with Midnight yeah. uh, Western Theater, they have to absolutely score nineties to to make this work, right? Just yeah. Make it work. You got to score 90s. And they came close. To me, they they got an 89 out of me. And that means that I'm going to continue on and see, okay, what else are you going to give me? You know, is this going to be a really great series? Because you started off very solidly. Yeah. And that 89 could easily turn into a, ni- uh, into a 90, 95, depending on how the series goes. Okay. So you're giving it a 90. Yeah. Is that what you said? Or 89. 89%. You're giving it an 89% on the RMD score. Okay, Dave. All right, so it's my time at the bar. And I will give this an 83%. I wanted to give it a bit higher, but I'm going to wait. That's the thing. I don't think it's bad. Realistically, it's probably more around an 86 Maybe an 87 for me. However, I am taking a few points off for fan fan reasons. I'm also a very big Weird West fan, and I want to make sure my fan side is not interfering with my critical thought here. So that being said, 83% is a, it is a great start to a five-part series. I'm really excited to keep reading this. I'm a little disappointed with the release strategy. I was contemplating dropping a percent down because of that but that's not the creator's fault so i will not do that and this does bring us to the end of our discussion i want to remind people dave that we are on patreon patreon.com slash digital every month we do more uh, weird west radio content as well as a spaghetti western corner show where we discuss and break down spaghetti westerns yep and that is all for just $4 a month. So head over to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge. And when you do so, you gain access to all future and present Patreon content, which is hundreds and hundreds of hours. So thank you. Thank you, David. 
Thank you. Bye-bye. And good night. said he be taken from such prison to a suitable and convenient place of execution within said county and there be hanged by the neck till he be dead, dead, dead. Now, do you have anything to say, young man? Yes, Your Honor, I do. <clears throat> you can go to hell, hell, hell. <laughs>